Mean Old Lion Media presents Corner Table Talk. Welcome, everyone, to Corner Table Talk. Uh, you know, thinking about my guest as I prepared for the show today, a few thoughts kept reoccurring. Why we are drawn to and connect with certain people we cross paths with in our lives and why some stick. One of the personal attributes someone must possess to have a shot at success in the restaurant and hospitality space is to care deeply about the happiness of others. Sure, we can all be selfish at times, but when you're a restaurateur, as is the case with both gentlemen I'm about to introduce, when the tables are set, the lights ready, the music is at just the right level, and guests walk through the door, you can be assured these two gentlemen know how to create a guest-focused experience, which is a big reason why I came into the orbit of both of these men many years ago and stayed close and often been a beneficiary of the hospitality they both are very well known for. Alvin Clayton is the owner and operator, along with his lovely wife, Gwen. Happy birthday. I heard it's Gwen's birthday. Happy birthday. No, we won't do that. That could last about 15 minutes. We won't do that one. Uh, But happy birthday, Gwen. And they are the the owners of the renowned New Rochelle New York restaurant, Alvin and Friends, described by the New York Times as a darling of downtown New Rochelle. 2015 Open Table uses choice winners, diners choice winners in 2015. They're known for Southern and Caribbean flavors, and I can attest to that. Jerk Duck, Rum Punch, and Michael, he's also known for a killer fried chicken, which (laughs) you also do. So I might suggest a cook-off at some point between the two of you. But uh, named Best of Westchester four years in a row and known for combining urban sophistication with comfortable elegance. Alvin has also been known and continues to be known because he still looks great as a a successful model. And aside, as if that's not enough, aside from being handsome, personable, Alvin can also paint like really well, like as in people buy his artwork. So we're going to touch on some of that stuff. Michael Van has been involved with multiple well-known restaurant brands throughout his illustrious career. I've known him since his days in the retail industry as an executive with New York retail giant Lord & Taylor since the early 80s. Michael made the move into hospitality as the GM of legendary B. Smith's, helmed by the beloved Barbara Smith. From there, Michael and a small group of partners opened the Shark Bar, which became the go-to spot for New Yorkers, actually from folks around the country, and was immortalized by Biggie Smalls on his track, I'm loving, and it's quote around loving you tonight. End quote. Michael moved on to create Soul Cafe, work with Sean Combs at Justin's and helped Chef Carl Redding grow his soul food concept, Amy Ruth's. Most recently, Michael added Smitty and Moe's at Newark's Gateway Center to his resume. Michael also plays some mean saxophone. So that was that was a new one on me, Mike. (laughs) So anyway, both gentlemen are devoted fathers. They also happen to be talented in the kitchen, although I think of both of them more as front of the house guys. But uh, needless to say, I am very pleased to welcome Michael Van and Alvin Clayton to Corner Table Talk. Welcome, fellas. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Brad. Pleasure to You're be welcome. here. Michael, I'm honored to be on with you. Brother. Brad, thank you for the wonderful introduction. Who is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> right. You, you know who that, who that guy is. I described you to the T. So we kick things off, fellas, with what I call short order questions. Just a couple of uh, things I'm going to fire at you first. Mike, you can take it first. And then Alvin, Alvin you come in with, with your answer. Mike, tell me, what's in heavy rotation on your playlist these days? I mean, what are you listening to? In the morning, I do, uh, I got a gospel playlist. Then I move into John Coltrane, Love Supreme. And then I might funk it up in the afternoon. But I have favorite Sonos playlists. I don't have one song, but they're all, they're all mood music for me. You know, it gets me going throughout the day. An essential piece to the day, I'm sure. Essential. Alvin, how about you, brother? What are you listening to, man? You know what? I'm, I'm a, a, a jazz guy uh, most of the times. Uh, so I listen to a lot of Miles Davis, especially while I'm painting. I've also been listening to a lot of... Um, old classical soul, Marvin Gaye, you know, the temptations and stuff. I'm really like just enjoying that vibe these days, man. So that's that's what I've been playing nonstop. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that as well, man. I, I don't mind the, the balance between some jazz and some classic uh, old soul. That works for me too. Mike, what, what time of day, man, do you feel most productive? 
I have to start my day in prayer and meditation, and that sets the tone on what I prioritize for the rest of the day. As, as a creator, uh, entrepreneur, driven by creativity and manifestation, any time of the day is good. When, whenever the, uh, the idea or the demand for what I have to accomplish, you know, I'm, I'm 24-7. I always tell folks I'm 24-7. So I typically visualize at night. Right. And dreams between probably that last period between four and six a.m. But after that, I'm, I'm off to the races, whatever I have to do. I admire that, man. Alvin, what about you, man? You got to switch you know your what? brain back and forth a little bit because you're a business operator and you're an artist. But uh, creatively, man, when do you feel most inspired? Yeah, I'm most creative late night, man. Um, like, you know, uh, because of the art, I, uh, you know, I'm busy with the restaurant, so I'm taking care of business that time um of course i go to bed really late when i do go to bed so i wake up a little later so i start my day kind of kicks off kind of around like 11 o'clock full pace you know just getting stuff for the restaurant because i'm really kind of just really hands-on especially in these climates to make sure that you know the numbers are where they are so i'm like very much hands-on with that still and then you know taking care of my guests and, and the restaurant and then i go home and I go into my studio, and that's my most creative time, man. I paint from anywhere from, uh, you know, from midnight to probably 2, 3 in the morning sometimes. And it's it's quiet time. No one, no phone's ringing. No one's to interrupt me. And I'm just, like, reflective. And that's, like, my zen moment, man. And, and it yeah. keeps me balanced. Also, it's a good time to unwind for what I've done during the course of the day, dealing with people and everything else. And that's my Zen moment and recharge. So I can picture that, man. You and Miles and and, and that solitude, man, that can uh, drum up some creativity, I'm sure. Michael, tell me, brother, what traits do you most admire in a friend? Uh, honesty, integrity and consistency. Yeah, they got to be there, right? When you need them. Yeah. I, well, true friends are always there. There's never a closed door. You know what I mean? So. All this stuff evolves, but I, I instinctively know, you know, who's my friend. <laughs> you know, I've had uh, some ups, some downs as an entrepreneur in life, and you really know who your friends are. So instinctively, I know, you know, after, after a few sessions, <laughs> who has the character to be my friend. Someone, someone said that uh, people show you who they are right up front, so believe them. Alvin, how about you, man? What, what traits do you most value in your like, friends? You know, I, I, I go along with what Mike said, but, you know, my restaurant is called Alvin and Friends. And there's a quote that I, I came up, I, I gave a lot of thought to. And it was like, you know, your friends are people that kind of know your past. They're with you now and they believe in you going forward in the future. And I mean, I just think that, you know, people with integrity, because I think as, as friends, we need to find people that are in the same realm that we're in. And I, I consider my integrity to be one of my strongest values. And I look for those people to be around me as well. You know, people I can depend on. Um, I don't really, really want much from people, but I just want, you know, the integrity and the honesty of who they are as people to be front and center when I deal with sure. them. Sure. Yeah. Feel you, man. Um, Mike, tell me, man, fondest childhood memory around food. <laughs> man, um, I would have to say I don't have any single items, but my dad was uh, so quietly instrumental in dropping all the seeds of inspiration in, in my food game. Um, <laughs> uh, he was a very creative dude, great with his hands. Uh, and to this day, I don't know anybody that has what we had in our house. And in, in my, my early childhood, five, six years old, my father built a brick barbecue grill in the basement of our house, man. And anytime we wanted to do barbecue, we could do barbecue. You know, I, I grew up in Gary, Indiana, so the winters didn't stop smoked ribs, you know, chicken or whatever we had to do. So and then and my grandmother used to cook and bake and I would watch her cook and bake and. You know, I was a kind of independent dude. So when anytime I wanted cookies or brownies, I made them myself. So all those things were just layers that kind of uh, built up my acumen and interest to uh, enjoy food first. Never thought I'd own a restaurant, but I always have enjoyed 
what food brought to the table. You know, no pun intended. But uh, so. Yes. Yeah. Alvin, how about you, man? I know you're Trinidadian native, but uh, <laughs> tell me your me, fondest man, it, memory. It has to food be memory. like my grandmother. You know, growing up in, in Trinidad, we had like all of my cousins. We all lived within probably a mile of each other. And Sunday lunch was a big big meal in the Caribbean. Lunch is when you do your, your major meal. And Sunday lunch and my grandmother, man, we'd have like about 20 people almost every Sunday. My grandmother was like a stickler for, you know, knife and fork on the table, table set, <laughs> you know, all the, um, the, the pattern tablecloths and stuff in the Caribbean. And we'd all cook, man. And then my grandfather would make ice cream. We had those, that old churning we ice cream my brother and i would be churning <laughs> but it was just like it was the best experience man you know just like breaking bread with your 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 family and my grandmother was a great cook and my my grandfather like michael's father was like a jack of all trade he could build anything my brother ian was like under my grandfather all the time and i was under my grandmother in the kitchen so i i get it from him he can build everything i can cook everything <laughs> you know but yeah that experience of just being together and that's the reason i named the restaurant alvin and friends man it's you know people thought it was like because of investors but it's really the best meals i've ever had have been with people that i care about and love and that's the energy that we have at, at my restaurant, I go to all the tables and greet all my guests because I never remember anyone coming into my grandmother's house where she didn't offer them a little something, you know, have some tea, have some this or whatever. And that experience to me, man, bringing smiles on people's faces and, and just breaking bread together is like the most amazing experience. And that's what I enjoy being in the restaurant industry. You know, knowing both of you gentlemen, as I do to hear uh, you describe those those childhood memories really for me are foundational in, in who you have become as as men. You know, I, I see the through line and I'm sure those of us who've been fortunate enough to be in any of your places also can appreciate uh, where you where you got your inspiration from. Um, Mike, tell me, man, past or present, who would you most like to host at an intimate dinner party? Uh, Marvin Gaye would be my past and present wow i'd like to sit with obama and kind of explore you know what the eight years meant to him and what he's going to do the next the re remainder of his life or how we can finish the work you know so i think marvin gay and obama would be great love that table what about you alvin for me definitely right now i would love to be with obama as well <laughs> it's uh you know i just what he's done um he's an inspiration to so many of us i know he inspired me one of the people that 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 passed that i i i think is just such an interesting character and as a young man was so influential in me having positivity about young people being able to take the lead and and doing things is probably michael jackson i just think that you know when i was 12 years old or whatever looking at this kid like leading a group man and and just being at the best that you can be was just so inspirational to me it, it just was like mind-boggling you know even today when i think about what he did at the age that he did it 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 was like a motivation for me man so he would be one of the people that'd be I'd a great table you know i was with. listening to um a song of his the other day and uh i'm gonna forget which one it was it wasn't who's loving you but he couldn't have been much more than 10 or 11 and you know the way that he connected <laughs> at that young age to the emotion in every uh maria it's it the song is called maria wow. yeah and it builds to a certain tempo man that how the hell he knew how to sing that way at, <laughs> and have had a life experience to have had the ability to touch those emotions with a song was was just amazing all right last last one of these and then we'll dive in so both of you guys are, are fashion uh would have fashion in your background and both handsome guys i'm sure you, you know you both look great in a suit so mike if you could have only one designer suit in your closet mm -hmm. who is that designer well i liked old armani man that's what i wore uh, a lot i mean he just had the nice touches they were contemporary but yet they were classic in in, in design you know it's he always had the uh most sophisticated textures 
uh, and colors, you know. Uh, I wore a lot of Ralph, but Armani would be the suit. It would it would capture that nice drape, right? Give me the shoulder space, and then uh, drape like the 40s and 50s. So always identify with Armani. Good choice. Alvin. Mike, you got good taste, man. I was, I, I was, I was a menswear buyer. <laughs> I was a menswear buyer, too. <laughs> because the both, the both uh, designers that you, not not that I'm following you, even though I have, because you had the shark bar before I had my restaurant, uh, but definitely I actually wore Amani back in the day. Of course. And... Um, and as my classical, like today, I, I wear Ralph. Yeah. And once again, it's the cut. Um, you know, when I think of fashion, man, I think of of really buying pieces. Yeah. Because there there are there are suits that I have from literally twenty Timeless. years ago Timeless. that I still wear today and get compliments on. You know, um, so it's it's that classicism, man. And you know, speaking of fashion, Brad, your father Howard was. Uh, he was he was he was the man with fashion too. You know? <laughs> he knew a little he, he knew a little bit about it, uh, about a good suit. <clears throat> yep, and, and good fabric, yeah. no question about it. Yeah. Um all right, so let let's dive in here. And again, you know, thank you both uh Michael and Alvin for for taking the time to be here. So I I'm curious, when did you two first meet? Alvin, do you have a or or Michael a, a memory of your first meeting? Well, I used to see, you know, Alvin graced all the magazines first. So it was always, you know, that identity first. And I don't think I met Alvin until I came out to Georgia. I think I celebrated either my birthday at Georgia uh, in the 90s. And I had a nice table. Denzel came and uh, Paul Mooney, and, you know, God bless his soul. And, and I think Alvin was there. I mean, so that was kind of like when we when I first knew he had an interest in restaurants and everything else, you know, and he was part of your team out there. And uh, or I think he was one of the owners as well. Right. So that was probably mm-hmm. the first time. And then we just would see each other over the years, man. And uh, respect, respects those with game you know what i mean uh and 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 i've always admired he was part of the a team you know i have a a top five in this game and you know he's certainly one of those guys you know and as as yourself and so it was more admiration and and uh respect uh we really didn't hang as friends but we knew mutual we had mutual friends for sure alvin that that consistent with your memory um, yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, I have great admiration for Michael, too, and, and what he's done. I mean, I knew him uh, from the Shark Bar, just as being a guest there and knowing that he was one of the partners at, at the Shark Bar. Uh, but we never really, like, introduced ourselves. And I remember the inc- that time at, out at Georgia, I think that was probably one of the first times that I actually met met you, like, you know, on a personal level. Right. Certainly remember that time. And then, like you said, over the years, we've just we've been into each other, run into each other, different places. And, yeah, a a, a mutual respect of somebody that actually, you know, when you're in the game and you know what it takes to have people want to feel they want to open a restaurant, um, you know that that person has done a lot, you know, a lot of good things and, and, and have it look where it's easy. And I think Mike has definitely been that person, yourself included, Brad, there's there's probably a handful of people that, you know, that operated at the level that that we've all been blessed to operate at, you know, um, having restaurants. And Michael is definitely one of those. And I think it's just the, the mutual respect that we've had for each other over the years. Definitely. Yeah. Well, we are we are truly the mutual admiration society amongst the three of us. And, and that's OK. I don't apologize for that. I definitely admire both of you guys. Um, so, you know, 2020, we're coming out of, you know, uh, an unprecedented year, certainly in our in our lifetimes. And, you know, words like pivot and reset and protests and you know, elections took on a whole nother dynamic, but uh, a lot to digest from this past year. Right. But we're coming out of it now. We're, we're vaccinated. Or a lot of us are. Things are starting to open up. We're able to move around. Again, we're feeling a little bit better, but, you know, there's still what we went through. We're still you know, maybe a little bit of PSD even and we're not completely out of it. So I'm just curious what your, your takeaway has been from from this past year and, and how you're feeling right now. Alvin, why don't you take that first? 
you know, yeah, it's been a, a, a trying year, but I think also if you're in the restaurant industry, you've got to be nimble anyways. You know, things come at you from every angle. I mean, a lot of people don't see it. You know, there's a lot of things going on. What This might break down, that might break down, you know, the weather. Um, you know, I took the pandemic um, as something, you know, one thing else that we had to deal with, you know, and, and, and took it one day at a time. I think the comforting thing about it is like everybody was going through it. So um, it, it wasn't like, I was the, the only one immune uh, immune from that. So, you, you know, you make the changes. We were, you know, a fine dining ex- restaurant, so we had to make some changes. So I closed down for like two weeks, added some sandwiches and stuff to the menu to figure out, okay, how can we do that? And just kept the numbers in intact. One of the great lessons that I learned from being partners with you, Brad, also was that, you know, it, it's really important to own your 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 business, your, your building or whatever, if you're operating as a restaurateur. And I was fortunate enough to to own our building. So during the pandemic, I didn't have a landlord over my head. It was me dealing with the bank. You know, I got deferments to put it on the back end. And, you know, with the grace of God, we made it through. I mean, I felt really bad for a lot of, of businesses that didn't make it through. But, you know, man, it's just one day at a time. You 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 make the adjustments and you kind of, you know, let it go the best that it can go. You know, I, I just try not to harp on the, on the negative stuff. You just, you, you know, you got to tighten it up and keep it moving forward. That's, and that's what I did. And fortunately, you know, it looked like we we're on the other side of it. And so I'm thankful for that. To make I'm, it I'm happy to hear that, man. And, and yeah, those are, you, you're so, so right that we, we get hit with a lot of stuff in, in our industry and you have to be nimble. Mike, how about you, man? What uh, what's the what what's your look back on this past year and and how's it affected you and 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 how are you feeling? Uh, I was fortunate to be in transition as COVID was moving into our lives. I was uh, I was about to move to a larger location and a a more central location in Newark uh, between Montclair and East Orange, and uh, I was and I was going to buy the building, and so. Uh, COVID stepped in and put all that on on the back burner, right? So for me, it gave me time to reassess where I want to be in my life, and so it was. I took it as reflective time and recentering time. So I was fortunate enough to survive uh, with some PPP money, right? So I've been just really uh, laying in a cut right now and just rebuilding my spiritual uh, mindset and re-addressing where I'm going to open up the next location. And I'm, I'm heading out of the East Coast, and I'm going south to where my, uh, my family's from in Huntsville, Alabama. So for me, it's been time to solidify the, the, the last quarter of my life. So I'm taking it, you know, it's been a, it's been a good period for me. I'm spending time with my mom now. Uh, I've been here for 30 days. So for me, it's been uh, rebooting my spiritual karma and everything. Well, I want, I want to come back to that, Mike, because I saw you before you left for Huntsville. Um, you came and hung out with me a little bit. So I, I knew that that trip was forthcoming. And I, and I want to circle back to that in a minute. Um, but I'm curious, you know, uh, speaking, um, you know, of my own feelings here, you know, I, I've definitely had some some days that I've felt challenged, you know, in, in, in our industry, not just this past year. Sure. But, you know, you, you wake up some mornings and you just don't have it. But you've got to bring it anyway, because there's a staff of people that are, you know, expecting you to, you know, to to walk in the door and, and lift them out of whatever they might be feeling. And then you've got customers that are coming in and, you know, they don't want to hear about your troubles either. So nope. I'm curious, Alvin, you're a pretty upbeat cat, man. I've always known you to be a very optimistic brother, but I know, man, that it can't possibly be that every morning you wake up and it's just raring to go and, and you know, just just uh optimism overflowing but how do you how do you manage your own the, the self-talk that we all have you know that that voice inside of us some days that tell us you know we're we're not up to it or or you know we're we're imposters and other days it tells us go get it how, how do you manage that self-talk you know what I've, I've been blessed man i have an amazing wife <laughs> to be honest with you um my wife gwen there are mornings when I, I you're right, I, I don't feel like getting out of bed, you know, and um, or you have a hundred things going on in your mind, but she is there 
to be to give me that push. So it's been a great balance because the days that I don't feel great, she she's my motivation and you know and and pushing me. So you know they said uh, what behind every uh, great man there's a <laughs> probably a greater woman. So I, I do have to give her credit because uh, she's a partner with me in this uh, restaurant, and um, there's a lot of things that I couldn't do without her. And and that's that's the base, man. I, I just like, you know, she gets me back in, on track. Yeah. Well, props to Gwen for sure. And props to my wife, Linda, because she does that for me a lot. Mike, I know, you know, you you've raised Sydney, uh, you and you and Sydney's mom were no longer together, but I know you were raising her together and you, and yes. you lost Sydney's mom not too long ago. And that had to have been a, a very tough thing to, to go through. But same question to you, brother. I know you're uh, you're spiritual and, and I admire your spirituality. We, but how do you how do you manage that self-talk, that inner voice that, that lifts you up and can take you out at the same time? You know, uh, Brad, this method to the madness. And I've been praying on my knees since I can remember two years old. I pray every time I have a meal. Uh, so there's a there's a fortitude that I've developed over the years. And and part of my mission as an entrepreneur, as a person, or my purpose is is to serve, right? So uh, I'm not saying it's easy, but what I do, I have to stay in routine, right? And in my karma every morning and every day, and that's what I use. I, I use that consistency to get me in 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 the state of mind to engage with other people's uh, spirits and how they are. But I'm 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 a servant, so I wake up with that mentality, and and and, and I try to stay balanced with my connection to my my higher being so that mm-hmm. that's the only mm-hmm. answer i can give you brad really i hey, play man. my horn <laughs> I, I play my horn i you know mm-hmm. uh all those things that are god-given i use mm-hmm. to realign myself each day and i and i guess we can add to that you know that that we don't let the highs take us too high so no. that we don't let the lows <laughs> take us too low you know we try to keep stay somewhere in that middle and that in that sweet zone yeah so let's um i'm going to change uh direction here and just talk a little bit about your respective business models because i think there's a lot of conversation going on now um since we experienced what we just did and everybody having it again you know use, using the word pivot um or reset alvin you know you're, you operate a full service sit down restaurant fine dining uh which means full staff front and back of house operating costs are going up um, we're, I know the industry is, is challenged in terms of finding uh, uh, employees uh, around the country. Uh, it's been a challenge. Um, I'm curious how you are managing that with your business model. Um, prices at some point, I would imagine, have to start to reflect the, the rising cost, minimum wage and what have you. I'm, I'm curious just how, that's, how that is affecting you and what changes or what are you considering? What are you seeing? Yeah, um, you know, it's it's definitely all the things that you've mentioned have actually been front and center in our discussion lately. Um, you know, the food costs going up. We have we are white tablecloth. People don't realize that you end up having to, uh, you know, during COVID, as soon as somebody touched a tablecloth, you had to to change it. So even that became a, a huge expense, you know. Or somebody would come and they would ask, you know, to to move to another table. You know, you can't put that cost to them right there, but it, it all added up and the prices. So we've, we've been actually, you know, raising the prices a little bit. The minimum wage for restaurant workers have also gone up. And to be honest with you, we haven't like fully passed that on to the customer yet because, you know, we still want to slowly get into it. You can't move from from selling something for $5 to, to $10, mm. you know, people are going to wonder what's going on. So, it, you know, it's slowly going there. I've just been a little more hands-on with what um, the way I'm, I'm handling it. I'm actually back in the trenches doing stuff where I can until the numbers go back up. But it is it is a challenge, and and it's it's a conversation that's being had right now as 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 we move forward with the business. Yeah, yeah, I know you operate like I do, Alvin, and and you know the the more jobs there are, it just means the more work we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I I can relate, Mike. You you had a different vision, man. When you when you envisioned um, 
Smitty and Moe's, you know, you decided to scale it down. Mm-hmm. And unlike, you know, both Alvin and I, whose rooms kind of would require our presence, given the full um, service model, you designed something a little bit different. You had something different in mind with Smitty and Moe's, which is kind of more a fast, casual style. Although the, the great night that I was there, you were in the room. We had a blast. The food was delicious, of course. But I'm curious if in, in hindsight now, as you're looking forward, do you um do you think that that model, are there advantages to that model since you've done both? Well, uh, I do. I, I made a calculated change and shift in, uh, in my restaurant developments. I always saw uh, an opportunity in the, the better quick service model. And so I had made that, that transition probably around 2010, right? And I was looking for different opportunities. And uh, Newark presented an opportunity that fit the timeline of what I wanted to do. And so I, gave, I had an opportunity to test it. And I'd been studying it for a while because uh, I just thought that's where the market was going. I saw, I feel that the full service market is not growing. It's not in the growth mode. There's certainly special cases like Alvin. Uh, he's the mayor of New Rochelle. So, I mean, there's always going to be a place for that special sit-down, full-service model. But he's got to invest in it. He's going to have to make that investment, and his community is going to have to roll with him because the labor costs across the board to operate full-service, I, I think it's prohibitive in the economic climate that we're in right now. So for me, that's the only thing I'm doing is uh, quick service, better quick service. Uh, I'll be in the food hall operating model. That's where I'm going. And I, you know, I wanted to talk to Alvin about being part of that. So we kept trying to schedule a meeting and uh, we haven't had a chance to do it. So I want to help. I see a way that I can help Alvin shift. He can maintain that full service model, but we can shift some of his categories and classifications into this quick servicing under this food hall umbrella I'm developing. So to be continued, Alvin, if you don't mind. So I, I think. The quick- Absolutely. I know. Yeah, we were trying to yeah, get that. Yeah. And then the COVID thing. hit. Yep. It's, it's really I think it's the only and there's no safe haven. But if you're going to have to pay people 10 and 15 dollars, you're going to have to pay folks who can multitask and they're going to be in the kitchen and so forth. So I've found that you that operating model best serves paying folks that type of wage. Right. Where they they're, mm-hmm. they're doing some food handling stuff. They're doing some service stuff. They're doing some prep. And that model has allowed me to uh, cross cross train. Right. My staff that way. So for me, that's mm-hmm. the future. So, Alvin, I want to come back to you because, you know, I, I know personally that part of the reason why I was in the restaurant industry was because I enjoyed being in the room. That was a big part of it for me. At Alvin and Friends, you're as much a part of that experience as anything else there, if not more. And so to Mike's point, um, that obviously requires your your presence, which does limit scalability. And quite frankly, I don't even know that scalability was even that a factor I considered, you know, in, in terms of my decision to, to be in the industry or, or to stay in the industry in the way in which I did. But Mike makes some good points in that if, you know, you do have some good stuff going and, and there is, you know, the possibility that there are other opportunities for it. I'm just curious how you feel about any of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I think Mike hit on some really good points. And the thing that I do have as an advantage right now, I think it's because we've become like a brand here in definitely in New Rochelle and Westchester area. And I think once you, you've you kind of branded yourself, there are other opportunities that presents itself. So, um, you know, we're in the, the, the type of, first of all, we have a, a food base that, that people love, but not everybody has it in that kind of environment. So we were able because we had in the fine dining establishment, such as Georgia was, to be able to kind of really, you know, make a name outside of the mom and pop type uh, situation. And so I think now there's there's probably opportunity for uh, merchandising. I think there's uh, possibilities for, um, for product, you know, um, spice mixes and different things like that, because we do have a, a name that has gone on with with what we what we do i also um i also think that you know the the vegan market which i added to the restaurant like a few years ago 
has been huge. I mean, we have, uh, especially with, with takeout and delivery now, we have like so many vegans ordering from our restaurant. And it's also has become an inclusive part when people come into the restaurant now, because in the past, you know, somebody would say, oh, you can put this side together or that side together. People see that we've actually paid attention to it now. And I think I might be onto something because I was just hearing that um, Danny Meyer um, is planning to do, I think, 11 Madison, like full vegan, if I'm not mistaken. So I I think that's a trend that's moving. And I think that's a, a... market share that that's actually still underserved so there are certain ways to move into that market and i think like i said merchandising and 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 product manufacturing is is one of the the revenue sources that i know is definitely on the table still for what we do Mm -hmm. so multiple revenue stream development uh, is something that you're going to be looking at so um, i want to take a step back a little bit mike you you hail from gary indiana and uh, you yes, are sir. not Gary's only famous son, I might uh, add. I there's another Mike brought up a name earlier that yes, a few folks might know. <laughs> so, Mike, if you would give us a little snapshot of, of Gary and when and uh, what, what, what caused you to decide to leave and, and, and how did you land in New York? Why was it New York City? Uh, why was that the place that you decided you needed to be? Gary was a great foundational uh city for me it was it was vibrant it was it, it meant something to be black you know we had the first black mayor uh, in a major city in gary richard hatcher uh, we had one of the best school systems in the country so all those foundational things were wonderful man we uh and i i had a chance to move from the inner city to a white environment when i was a sophomore with a beach and so i got a nice cross-section of uh urban upbringing right and, and Michael Jackson inspired me too. I mean, I mean, I watched Michael in talent shows at the Jackson Five, man. So Gary was a city. Denise Williams. There was so many people that got inspired by uh, Michael and 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 their evolution, right? So that gave me the confidence to just run. I mean, once I graduated from high school, uh, I went to Western Michigan and. I came home and worked in the steel mills for one summer. But after that, I was on my own, man. And so from Michigan, I graduated in 79. I took a fashion merchandising trip uh, to New York with the mass, you know, fashion merchandising uh, department at, at Western because I wanted to own my own clothing store. The first entrepreneurial uh, goal was to own my own clothing store. I wanted the Black Barney. So... Uh, when I came to New York for that trip, we stayed a week. It was no question this was a city I had to be in. The, the vibrancy, uh, the you know, uh, the diversity. What year was that, Mike? Uh, 79. Uh, May mm-hmm. of 79, I took a trip to New York and, and fell in love with it. You know, we got the tour of the fashion industry. We got the tour of the theater and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I'm, I'm, Chicago was my sister city. I was born in Chicago. So Chicago was only 30 minutes from Gary. But New York was just like another planet, right? And, and there's some other stories, some childhood stories. But I, f- I had a sense of New York in my spirit. And uh, once I landed from the airport, man, I, was, I knew this was the city. So I uh, sent a resume to uh, Lord & Taylor, Saks Fifth Avenue, Barney's. And Lord & Taylor was the only uh, uh, company that had... Uh, executive training program at the time and i've been here for 42 years man. i have not looked back you know and uh <laughs> the clothing store certainly went by the wayside but new york gave me you know my entrepreneurial bones and yeah uh, we're gonna, we're I gonna come back to yeah. that but uh, obviously new york was 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 ready for you too alvin you grew up in trinidad um island life beautiful beautiful place to to grow up i'm sure um Tell us a little bit about about Trinidad and then what what made you decide to make the move? I know modeling industry had to intersect with that decision making at some point. But take us back there and, and tell us how you wound up in New York City and when. You know what? Um, I wouldn't trade having been born in Trinidad for any place in the world, man. It was just like it was really my childhood experience was magical, you know, and um you know, my mom came to the United States, you know, as as all immigrants to to have a better life for their their family. And I was fortunate enough to move in with the person that I love, like their life, my grandmother. 
And that was just like an amazing experience growing up with my grandmother, man. I love my grandmother. She was, she's my heart, you know? I mean, I love my mom, but I give the person that I am credit to my grandma, you know? And um, so, you know, I grew up in Washington, D.C. And then obviously um, after I got drafted by San Diego to play soccer, because I went to Mount St. Mary's in a soccer scholarship and a friend that, that modeled, you know, um, in New York thought that I could be a model. I never really was interested. And then um, the NASL, which was the outdoor soccer league at the time folded. I was a goalkeeper. I had an option to try out for a goalkeeper indoor, but I didn't want to do that. So I took my friend's offer up and said, you know, you know, do you think your agency would be interested in seeing me? It was the Wilhelmina modeling agency. I came to New York and, uh, you know, they they signed me. You know, they told me how difficult it was for black models. Then they said, we're going to give me a try. And, you know, the rest is history. And so that's that's how New York New York was great for me. And I actually got into the restaurant business because a friend of ours, Brad um, Gale, uh, into, uh, asked me one day when we were on a Macy shoot, you know, what I plan to do after modeling. And I said, you know, I love hospitality. I worked as a waiter when I first started modeling. And I said that, you know, maybe I know how to cook for my grandmother. Maybe I'll open a, a restaurant or something. <laughs> after modeling for that many years, you know, I needed to do something for myself. And she introduced us, as, as you recalled. And, you know, for whatever reason, you took a liking to me and, <laughs> and invited me to, to invest with you guys at Georgia, which I did. And I learned, like, you know, basically the back of the house from you and your dad, Howard, and I'm still looking for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, let's, let's, uh, so that, that's, 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 that's great my story. New York introduction, man. Yeah. Let's come back to that. Um, cause I, I do want to talk a little bit about, uh, what got you uh, interested in, in joining the team with us at Georgia. But Mikey, you made the decision at some point to, to make the leap from the retail industry into the hospitality industry also. You came from outside the industry and, and decided that restaurants looked appealing to you. I'm curious. So this is the, the early 80s, mid 80s, I guess. Yeah. Where were you hanging out and what how did the B. Smith's opportunity evolve <laughs> for you? Wow, man. This is this is part of the book for sure. After being in the fashion industry as a buyer, you know, making those benchmarks as a black man, I saw the limitations uh, as an entrepreneur. Right. Uh, owning my own clothing store was probably the most difficult thing in the world. So at that time, around, because I left Lord & Taylor in 87, I made a decision. This wasn't the industry that I was going to make my mark as an entrepreneur. So I left it. And uh, along the way, I had always been hanging out in Michael Weinstein's restaurants, man. I mean, every one from Museum Cafe my favorite was the saloon on 64th and, and uh, Broadway across Lincoln Center. Uh, I posted up there so much, man. I, I met Michael. I met Vinny. I met all the guys, right? Because I was just a great customer. Because as a buyer, I was always entertained. So I would always pick Michael's restaurants to go to. So knowing that I was going to make a shift, I was always like a sponge in all these restaurants, man. I watched everything he did. And uh, one of the restaurants I went to was America, right? America was the hottest thing, you know, the, one of the largest restaurants in New York City in 1985-ish, 86 or so. And I met Barbara Smith there, man. And I was enamored. I was floored. I was, I was in love, right? And uh, so we became friends uh, as, as me as a customer and her as one of the managers of, of America. And I met Richard Wright there. I met, I always managed to, to integrate myself with the staff. Cause I knew in the back of my mind, this was an industry that I could get into. Right. Uh, and all those things just was always dormant. So when I left Lord and Taylor in 87, uh, I had made a decision that I wanted to be a film producer television, a producer of television, film, and theater. So I went to Barbara. I said, Barbara, I'm in transition. I want to be a producer, but I need to start and land somewhere. And she gave me an opportunity to be a manager in, at, uh, at B. Smith's. I brought all of my, my retail acumen to that opportunity, and she gave me the platform to develop my skills, my personal skills, 
my uh, where my personality could shine, and I helped her build that business in the first four years. Uh, uh, she could go home, she could rest assured that I was taking care of her place. And from there, people kind of just watched me work. And an opportunity came up that I saw, and I pitched an idea to a gentleman, a potential investor, about rebranding a, a, a operation that was on the Upper West Side called the Shark Bar. It was a bar, a small bar. And these guys invited me to be partners with them, but it had limitations. So I saw an opportunity to expand the brand. So I rebranded that. And that's how I got into the industry. I pitched it to this guy over brunch and he wrote me a check within two weeks. He's a dear friend because he believed in my vision. And uh, that's how I mm -hmm. got started. And the rest is history. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is history. Good history, man. And I, and I do hope you write that book. Um, Alvin, so for you, you decide to make the move to Los Angeles at one point, as you alluded to. You and I got reconnected. I was transitioning from the nightclub business to the restaurant, back to the restaurant business and had plans to open up George on Melrose. You and I got together and I thought, you know, fantastic. You know, you were interested in coming in. You got involved. And, you know, together we really kind of ran, you know, that that restaurant from the front desk. So just tell me a little bit about that experience for you. And then, you know, you you'd leave Los Angeles and and go back to New York. And rather than go to the city, you decide to open up Alvin and Friends in Westchester, which I, I thought was an interesting idea and is definitely proven to be fantastic. But just take us, walk us through a little bit of that from your perspective and, and what you gained. Um, what took me to Los Angeles was that uh, Gwen, her company was moving her out and she wasn't going to come out uh, to Los Angeles unless I was coming with her. We weren't married at the time. I call, you know, being a model, I could probably base be based from anywhere. So I called my agency in LA and asked them if they thought I could work out there. And they said, oh, we would love to have you. And so I, you know, we were coming back from the, from the vineyard actually. And I said, I'm going with you to LA. And uh, that's how we got out there. The experience of like, you know, it was great you were right getting ready to open Georgia. And so I actually saw, you know, almost from conception, you know, to operation with you. And you were very kind. I, and, you know, I give credit every day when I talk about my restaurant experience to you. And I also learned a lot from your dad, Howard. You know, I, I, I always tell this story. I mean, I'm a very hospitable guy, but I remember one day we were, at, uh, I was at the restaurant and it was a Sunday, early Sunday, and the first guy that came in, he was with a date. And um, I gave him what was considered our best table at the restaurant. And so he sat down and, you know, two minutes later, I was like on the phone talking to somebody and Howard and I were, you know, just chatting. And the guy came up and decided he didn't like that table. He wanted, uh, you know, another table. And I'm thinking, I just gave you the best table in the restaurant, <laughs> you know. So you're trying to flex for your girl. I'm going to flex for you, right? So I said, I'll be right with you. And Howard said, Alvin, you go take him to the table right now. And I'm like, so Howard and I kind of went to the back and got into it a little bit. And I'm a young man. I'm like, shoot, I, you know, I just gave. And, you know, you know, Howard had that look, right? My man. <laughs> so anyways, I go out and give the guy the table. And then he said to me, he goes, listen, he goes, we're in business because that guy is in here. And if he wants to sit on top of the restaurant and it doesn't do anything to, you know, detract into the business that we do, you let him sit on top of the restaurant. And I thought about that and I was like, you know what? He's absolutely correct. And that was like one of my early lessons in, you know, restaurant touring. And there's a lot of stuff that comes to you and, and can get you frustrated or whatever, but you can't take it personal. And my whole thing is, you know, you treat guests as you would like to be treated. And yeah. I think if that's your starting place, that's a good place to be. And, uh, you know, my experience at Georgia was just like a tremendous one, man. I learned like so much from you guys. It really was a fun place and an honor to be a part of that. You know, I was modeling and I would I would come back from a modeling shoot and came into the restaurant to work, you know, I mean, and you you had a joke. Because I try to do like everything. You like, damn, you got another job. You got a hundred jobs, you know. But it, it was, it was, it's really is a, a labor of love. And you, and to be in the industry, you have to love it. And I think one time, Brad, you were you were in uh, probably going to produce a, a film or something, and you had a a character 
part that you said, yo, I'm going to put you in this movie. You're going to be the bus boy. You're going to be the <laughs> the manager. Yeah. <laughs> See, I was on to something early with how to save labor. <laughs> I said, you just get Alvin. Alvin can do everything. <laughs> that's classic. So that, that's great, man. So so you move, you, you leave L.A., you go to Westchester instead of New York City and decide to, to do uh, Alvin and Friends. What why why Westchester, Alvin? Well, um, you know Gwen's uh, best friend, um, y- you know the family, the Lorenzo family. You know they were they were out here, and um, Angie was out in in New Rochelle. So whenever we came to visit from the East Coast, you know we would come out and we'd hang out in New Rochelle, and we really loved the community, being you know just uh, twenty three minutes from New York City, and we really became a part of the the community. And I saw the lack of, um, you know, what we had at Georgia. It was missing here. I mean, every restaurant, first of all, there was a, a, a affluent black community, you know, uh, uh, the Graves from Black Enterprise and, you know, uh, Ken Chenault and all these guys lived out here. And the only places that served our food were mom and pop type things. So I saw the business opportunity in our community and, you know, I reached out to the people here and they were like very welcoming, man. And, and you know, that's, I think for me, uh, Westchester was, was the right place, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt the loss when you, when you guys left LA, man, cause not only were you just a good friend, but you guys had great parties and I would, you know, often go and <laughs> drink rum punch and, and be in the room and have a blast <laughs> <Rum> there, <laughs> man. Rum punch. Um, so, Mike, man, as you alluded to, you've taken some time. You've done some traveling the last few months, man. And I'm so glad you've you know, decided to kind of, you know, relax a little bit and get out there and see and, and spread your vision. But you spent some time in Huntsville mm-hmm. where you um, you have some family and you're considering opportunities there. Just give us a little taste of, of what you're thinking, what what you saw in Huntsville that appeals to you and uh, kind of what your vision is. Huntsville is a mid-sized city, uh, I guess a small mid-sized city, is about 195,000. And all my family is from Huntsville, right? Every paternal side, maternal side, two to three generations. So I'd always had thoughts of going back to Huntsville, right? My, my grandfather had land uh, and so forth, and I always told him that I wanted to come down there and develop land, the land and so forth and create generational wealth for my family. So for me, Huntsville creates that layered cross-generational move for me. So when I went down there, I reacquainted myself with my cousins and so forth, and I saw the city's growth, man. it's I've never experienced a city where every corner there's a shovel being put in for housing development. And I'm from a city, Gary, Indiana, which is the antithesis of this city, right, where I grew up in. It was a single industry, you know, city. And once the steel industry softened, Gary decayed, right? I, I took a drive with my daughter uh, two days ago and showed her Gary, man. It's, it's devastating, right? So Huntsville, right, Every square foot is being built, right? Gary's largest population was 185, 190. Uh, Huntsville is 190 now, and I see it growing another 20, 30,000 in the next two to three years. It's going to be the largest city. They project to be the largest city in Alabama uh, within two years. And so I see a huge opportunity on the food side, I didn't see a lot of artisanal food. I saw a lot of uh, national brands and so forth, regional national brands. So I think there's a huge opportunity to create the artisanal movement down there. So I'm going to go do that and develop a program that I can teach entrepreneurship and create business models that I can grow from. So that's kind of where I'm going, right? It's mm-hmm. it's uh, call it the fourth quarter. We've had these conversations before me, you and our mutual friends, right? It's the fourth quarter. And I see my, my role is to be teacher right now. Right. I'm, I don't mm-hmm. see operating 12, 14 hours again like I did at some and modes at 60. I'm not doing that again, but I will be, uh, you know, tr- extending my 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 wisdom to as many people as I can and hopefully put them in business. That's my goal. 
Well, that's that's a beautiful thing, Mike, and and, and not to be undervalued because the, the wealth of knowledge that you've accumulated uh, in your many years in, in the business as an operator and a visionary, I think is uh, I'd, I would hate to see that undervalued. I think you could be, you know, instrumental in, in helping to build the, the structure that that uh, that you describe. And people are going to follow you wherever you are, whether it's Huntsville, Harlem or, or Newark. People are going to go wherever there's a Michael Van project. Um, Alvin, your art, man, is is really um, evolving. And I've and I've been a lover of your work for, for many years. We had stuff of yours up at Georgia. I know you've sold paintings through the years to, you know, to bold face names and regular folks. Um, what, what's your, what are you thinking, man? Art wise, are you, are you looking for an exhibition space somewhere? Is there a museum that should be knocking on your door? What do you, what are you thinking there? Actually, I'm, I'm seeking the possibilities of museums now in 2022, I'm going to be the featured, featured artist at the Rye Art Center, which is actually a big deal. I'm going to have a one man show there. Congratulations, man. Um, but you know, oh, thank you. But my art has changed, man. And, you know, I, I think the artist has to speak to the times. And what has happened is, the, you know, the last administration um, affected me in a certain way. And so I, you know, I got my, my frustrations or, or my, my feeling powerless through my art. And so I had, I've been doing, I was doing some political pieces. I was reached to by the, um, the curator from Iona College, which is a, a college here in New Rochelle. And she was like, listen, this body of work is really important. You know, I'd like to do a show for you. So it was during COVID. So she did a, a, a virtual show for me. It was called Unapologetically Me. Um, and I showed 23 of my political pieces. And it was received really well, man. And um, somehow it got to, to IMG Models and they reached out to me and actually re-signed me uh, to model. And they're, they're working with me also to get my art um, out in different ways. And so, you know, I, I just really feel blessed. But the art now, it, it's taken on a significance of, we know what the problems were. I've painted the problems. What are some of the solutions? Mm -hmm. So my art now and moving forward are things that solution driven, man. It's just like, it's beautiful. I, I really believe that there's a lot going on right now and a lot that artists can say. And everything that I'm painting now is really having really great thought into it and, and you know, being a bit of a, a, a story and a message to what's going on. And I have a, a Instagram, um, Art Absolution is my Instagram uh, page for, for my art. And it gives a good good feeling of where the art has been going. And I've been selling quite a bit, man. Thank God, you know, during COVID, I, I sold some really large pieces, and um, I, I continue to paint every day. It's like my, like I said, my Zen moment. I yeah. get into my zone and, and do my fantastic, work. man. And and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're going to continue to be moved by your art. But you see what I mean, Mike? He's got how many jobs? I know, just man. Describe, man. <laughs> he's, he's he's a true Renaissance man. <laughs> <laughs> and, and getting paid though, Brad. He's getting yeah, paid and and taking on more jobs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, man. Well, well, listen. Um, you know, Michael Van, Alvin Clayton, um, two guys I admire greatly. Not just because you are successful businessmen and uh, I love the spaces that you create and, and the environments and always look forward to being in those rooms. But um, I just think you guys are just two special cats, man. And I and I feel really fortunate to count you on my list of, of close and valued and trusted friends. And I uh, just really appreciate that you both have taken the time here. Mike, I wish you the best with the, the book, the Huntsville development. I know we're going to be hearing and seeing big things out of you and Alvin. Anybody that's in the in the New York City area has to go to Alvin and Friends. Uh, I know I will be there on my next trip uh, to New York. And um, I just want to want to thank you both again. It's uh, it's been such an honor and a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much, man. It's been my honor for sure. Alvin, love you, brother. Love you guys, man. I love you too, this, Mike. Hopefully this is just the beginning yeah, of something you, for <laughs> the three of us. Absolutely. Let's, let's stay in touch, yeah. man. And Brad, thank you so much for so much over the years, man. And I do count you as one of my best friends and, you know, always blessings to you and the family, man. Yeah. Lots of love, brothers. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much, brother. Take care. Bye-bye. 
Welcome to this segment of the Corner Table Talk called How We Move. Ambassador Shabazz, good afternoon. Hi there, my dear. I'm moving. You deep breathing? I'm deep breathing. So I'm moving in place is what I'm doing. Moving <laughs> you know? in place. Is that exercise yeah. or is that spiritual? or, or Spiritual and pause. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I am right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's certainly a lot of physical movement, but a lot of it really is the mind space to... Uh, move the chess pieces around and the wonderful um, things that have landed on my plate are likened to the journey of your recent um, guests today. You know, how do you take a challenge um, and make something new and wonderful from it, reflective between fortitude and gratitude, right? And the skill set um, thereof. And it was really great to listen to that and the journeys without regret. That's, mm. I think, you know, last year there was a lot of boogeymen in the, in the, in the forest, on the plate, mm. you know, apprehension, fear, the unknown. And I think the reflection downtime of the pauses that we were forced into were timely, you know, and even here, um, there's a state representative um, here in Louisville, where I am, who is a real engaged neighbor in her community, not just from the political side, but just as a resident. And there's an, there's a building that's an eyesore right in front of her home, but you would pass it leaving Muhammad Ali's home and on your way to a Samuel Plato building. And, you know, I asked her, you know, what would you like to see there? And she said she was hoping that the building would be torn down, demolished and replaced with a green space or a garden or a meditation park. And the fact that one never thinks of that, that in an urban community, that people would welcome a meditation park or a place to sit, greet and respond to one another. Um, and so I think about that in context to you know, the pauses, where we are and what we build as mm-hmm. a result of of those pauses, something that heals and also that's something that's transformational. And it's not without having making it a business so that it enables a community to, to sustain or thrive. Um, somehow or another, we've thought that being in the world of enterprise, that it, it you can't do it while being holistic. So it's finding the blend for that and being responsible for our own sustainability. Mm-hmm. And I, but I also, you know, you touched on, you know, the, the, the balance aspect because, you know, I, as you were describing the potential green urban space, which is what you're talking about and yeah. urban gardening has become a thing, you know, certainly in the last, you know, the last few years. Um, but I think about Central Park, yeah. you know, in New York and what would Manhattan be without Central Park, with a bunch of concrete and buildings and with, you know, rivers on on or surrounded by water as as yeah. cases. But without that greenery, that 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 lush park to go to, um, you know, how 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 much the city residents would would miss that. And the landscape of Central Park is intentional. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, where you walk, where you pause, where you sit, the fact that that water is outside of the boathouse, you know, uh, off of Fifth Avenue. But it introduces you or you can exit off 110th Street right into Harlem. The fact that you can walk home and use it as part of your map from downtown to uptown. Um, it's intentional. And, you know, Kentucky has about four different Oldham parks as well. But I, and I always say to people, where is your Central Park? I would mean it metaphorically as much as I meant literally. Um, Los Angeles, you know, they had the Beverly Center. Then you had Beverly Drive. I mean, Be- Rodeo Drive. When they built the Grove, it kind of mixed everybody. Anybody can go. And I think most places underestimate, based on economics or size of town, that we all need a gathering spot. And with that said, there are these brothers in um, Atlanta, two young brothers who created um, an, uh, a location site, a headquarters in Atlanta called The Gathering Spot, uh, Ryan Wilson and T.K. Peterson. And it is a, a merging of culture, communication and um, collaboration. That's what they call, say. And it's done so. I was there and I was speechless. I just sat in the back of the room as they were hosting a Know Your Rights camp. And I learned that these two young brothers decided they needed an upscale yet accessible location. And this is about three years ago. 
that I was there. And their primary um, locations then were Atlanta, D.C., and Los Angeles. But now they're in four different locations. They said our, our mission is simple, to create a world where opportunity is the byproduct of community and collaboration. And they've done that. What's the name? Is it the same the name for each spot. city? The gathering spot. Yeah, the gathering spot is who they are. And they have mm-hmm. membership and investors. And mm-hmm. I know I beckon them to come to different locations because I think what they've done is simple yet tasteful. Mm-hmm. New generation. They're in their 30s. Um, they get it, though. They understand mm-hmm. it. So when you speak to the colleagues that are our own and the fact that even your two guests, Mr. Clayton and Mr. Van, referenced their parents, your parent, um, we're passing that torch. What's the bridge between that? So when Michael Van says, I don't know if I want to put that much energy in, but I'll teach, Mm. I'll reach, I'll touch. Mm. I think that's where all of us are. And I think those of us in our 60s, it's a cool place to be to have had the 30, 40 professional years and know that we can add our wisdom um, has value. Our experience has value. And I think that this kind of meditation park, the fact that that would even be considered normal, characteristic and fitting in an urban environment um, is ideal right now. And of course, we're prayerful. Mr. Van referenced all the time that he starts his day with a pause and a prayer. Mm-hmm. Many do, mm-hmm. one way or the other, not always associated to theology, but we need it. And I think last year was the thing that enforced that mm-hmm. kind of pause, mm-hmm. um, but it feels good and it manifests. So while, while we're on that subject, and since I touched on it with Michael and Alvin, I'm curious about you. So your your inner voice, how do you regulate the um, you know, we we all have the one that that tells us that uh, we're not as good as as we should be. And the other tells us that we should go for it, that, you know, it encourages us. So there's there's the two sides. But how, how, do, how do you regulate that you know, inner I dialogue? The, the practice for me has been since childhood. It was an innate one. What I realize now is when I haven't, when I've been so busy and I'm tilting and I'm off kilter that I hadn't paused, that it had been so busy that I hadn't paused, that I hadn't given myself, that I hadn't called upon my summit, my spiritual summit. Um, so mine is not just broadly, you know, dear God, it is usually my spiritual summit. And those were those that went before me. So we can call them ancestors or we can call them colleagues or friends, but those are the ones that, knew, that loved me on, in, on earth that I know are part of my accompaniment even now. Um, But I do that Um, and I trust it. I I know when I have lost it, um, like somewhere in my forties when you think you can wing it and then times when you realize, no, I think that other thing worked, checking in with my center self, my soul self. And it's one of the things I get to help others guide so I can understand and read one's marrow and sometimes we forget our marrow. We live so much on the outside that we don't realize that our marrow comes with all that we need in terms of food and fuel. But if we don't nurture it, if we don't support it, if we don't um, take care of it, there's no way to harvest from it. And and taking that occasional pause, is, as you often talk about, is, yeah. is also required. So on that note, we will take a pause here and until the next time. But uh, do thank you for those uh, spiritual insights as uh, we all try to balance the uh, the challenges and, uh, yeah. you know, the good things about life. Absolutely. All grateful to be here. So Ambassador Shabazz, thank you so much. Good to thank see you, you, my brother. Corner Table Talk is hosted by Brad Johnson. Produced by Brad and Linda Ailes Johnson. Theme music, Life Goes On by Bryce Vine. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the Corner Table Talk podcast wherever you get your podcast. Follow, subscribe, rate, and leave a comment. Corner Table Talk is a mean old lion media production.